This is Isaka's Page 2 Podcast. Thanks for joining us today. I'm Safia Kazi, Isaka's Privacy Professional Practice Principal. Today, I'm excited to be speaking with Stephen Ross, Executive Principal at Risk Masters International. He's here to chat with us about his recently released journal article titled Privacy in the Dark. So, Steve, your article Privacy references... Privacy in the Dark Data. <laughs> Privacy in the Dark Data, yes. So, your article does reference dark data. Just so that we're all on the same page, how do you define dark data? Well, let, let, me, let me preface that by uh, saying this isn't the first article I've written about dark data. Um, in the previous edition, I had written one about afraid of the dark data. <laughs> and the it's even that is a subset of something that I think is, is a broader issue that ISACA should be paying more attention to. And that is the whole space around data management. Now, our brethren in ISACA who are in the, the Seagate community are already pretty familiar, I think, with that. But I think the majority of us are not. And I say that because before I wrote any of those articles about, about data management, I did a search and found that there was only one article that mentioned data management. It was in the broader context of what auditors should be looking for in when they're auditing data. And it was only a brief mention. So I said, this is something that I, that I see as a, a bigger issue. And by that, I mean, we in ISACA, after all the IS is information systems, we tend to focus on the system. But obviously working in the privacy area of ISACA, know that what's really at issue is the data. So dark data is just a subset, but of perhaps a very large subset of all of an organization's data in their repositories. What is it? We tend to collect data, store it, put it away and forget about it and never use it again. And it just piles up. By analogy, I know I've got a, uh, a little cabinet that is full of, I don't know what it's full of, it's full of stuff. <laughs> and, you know, I'm, I know there's a lot of chargers in there, but I don't know if there's any of the devices that ever needed to be charged. So we've got that in data centers too. You've got all that primarily, but not exclusively network attached storage that's crammed with data and nobody quite knows what it is, why it got there, what we were going to do with it. Why didn't we get rid of it? Oh, why didn't we get rid of it? Because you never know. Maybe you'll use it someday. You never know is really not a, a top level control consideration. And one of the things that worries me and the reason about the privacy article was that there's a lot of that information that's just stuffed away that's about people. And if there's information about people and we don't know what it is, we don't know how it got there, we don't know why we're keeping it, we don't know what to do with it, de facto, we've got a privacy issue. When we collected it for a certain purpose, if we're no use, longer using it for that purpose, we're supposed to get rid of it. That's one of the basic tenets of privacy. If it's just sitting there, we're violating somebody's privacy somewhere. 
But I can also say, all right, so what? <laughs> you know, all right, there's all this data, but nobody really knows what it is and nobody really cares. Except that's not entirely true. And that brings us back to the cybersecurity issue because there are people who are trying to get into our systems and find out what? Find out whatever they can. And if they get into that, that storage, that dump of dark data, and start looking around and knowing what they're looking for, now you're beyond, okay, it's a de facto privacy violation to it's an actual targeted attempt to get information about either the company or about some person or persons. Think about some of the kinds of information I'm talking about. Every time you, you go into a big office building, you've, you've, many office buildings, not all, of course, you have to swipe a card. And you read a strip or you read a magnetic image and it says, Steve Ross was here. He came in at 11 a.m. and he left at 2. Somebody's trying to track me and know where I am and what I'm doing. Ah, now suddenly this isn't just, okay, it could happen. This is something that might already have happened. I, I can give one story and I don't know if it's directly on, on target, but I have an acquaintance who was in the middle of a divorce. And in part of the reason for that divorce is he was seeing another young woman, uh, also of my acquaintance, and he would not use any of the uh, bridge and tunnel crossings where you could use a magnetic device to say, because he didn't want his soon-to-be ex-wife to know where he was. Ah, oh, okay. So if I had to track that data, he was in that building where she worked, bingo, there's a potential problem. Now, you know, uh, we're not in the business of trying to protect everybody's love affairs, but we are in the business of trying to protect everybody's data, which is why I come back to privacy in the dark data, which was fairly long-winded, but I, I thought it was necessary to go there. No, that's a great point. And one of the things you mentioned in your article is the idea of if you apply to a job and you don't get it, they'll say, we'll keep your resume on file. And that's an example of dark data. So can you walk us through that specifically? How could, let's say, resumes that a company has on file be used to then potentially cause a privacy harm to the people whose resumes may be affected? Privacy or other harm. Give you an example. Um, somebody's applying for a job as a system administrator. Okay, so what do you put on your on your resume? I'm expert at Active Active Directory, Windows version seven through eleven. I can do this, that, and the other. I won't go through all of it. And I didn't get the job, but I did get some other job. Now, somebody gets in there, finds my resume, knows what I'm expert at, looks me up on LinkedIn, Facebook. Instagram, you know, it's not that hard to figure out where somebody works. Now they know that I'm working at such and such a company, having expertise in Active Directory, probably I'm a system administrator taking care of access control, 
they can figure out my email address. It's not that hard. Now they send me a fish because they know specifically what they're looking for. In fact, it's a spear fish. Was my privacy violated? Sure. Was that also a gateway to a cyber attack? Could be. Now, I realize as I bring up all these things, I keep saying could, could, could. Not that I have any particular evidence that it has happened or that it is happening, but I think it's important to recognize this possibility because we are self-inflicting, I won't say a wound, but we're keeping all this data and we don't know what to do with it, so we just leave it. And sooner or later, somebody's gonna find out a way to turn that around. In one of the articles that I wrote, I mentioned the fact that e-discovery and all the e-discovery software that we have today is used to search for information about particular items, things, or persons in a company's databases, or for this matter, for their unstructured data. And bingo, you find information about a person, a thing, a company, just exactly what anybody was ever looking for. It could be a privacy issue for sure. I mean, there's no question about that, but it could also very easily be something that will be of value to somebody else, the other side, in a lawsuit. So I think you did touch on this a little bit before, um, but it's an interesting point that you made in your article. Let's say an organization has quite a bit of dark data, but these dark data aren't improperly disclosed. Nobody's getting improper access to them. Mm -hmm. Is that still considered a privacy violation? Well, it depends on, on which jurisdiction you're in. If you're in European Union, where you have GDPR, the mere fact that you're holding data about a person and you are using it for either the purpose other than the reason for which it was collected, that is defined in GDPR as a privacy violation. So if you're in that jurisdiction, yep, I'm not a lawyer and I'm not an expert on every privacy law, but around the world there are many laws that have been modeled on GDPR in other nations. The big exception is the US, of course, but then there are states that are moving in that direction as well. And so then how might an individual know or find out if their personal information from dark data has been disclosed? Probably wouldn't know until somebody's using it against you. Uh, going back to the example of my, my friend, who was in the building and didn't want his ex-wife to know, when he walks into the courtroom to you know, to hammer down the divorce and that's brought out, he's not going to be a very happy camper. And so if somebody finds out that there was a privacy violation as a result of dark data, what could they do to address it? I know it can be really hard, especially when there's so much dark data that exists in so many places. Like if we look at the resume example, you know, it could have been a lot of places, but what exactly could an individual do to potentially address that violation? Well, again, you, you do come down to what is, what is uh, in various laws. And there's always the opportunity to sue somebody. But you could also bring, again, in certain jurisdictions, you could bring a complaint to uh, in Europe to the, uh, I think they call it the ICO. That's the commission that investigates privacy claims or violation claims. And 
would and could find the, the corporation. And in fact, if they find that they've got hundreds and hundreds or maybe thousands of, of records of people who didn't know that their information was there, they could get fined for every one of them, even if the person hadn't been harmed. Now we can go into a whole other conversation about whether privacy laws are necessary when there is no harm. I've had my opinion on that in, in the pages of the journal and elsewhere. And I, I'm much more concerned about harm than just accumulations of data. That said, um, accumulations of data that we don't even know about are just a very tempting target. Yeah, I think especially when we talk about organizations wanting to have a good reach and have good marketing efforts, a lot of it is about collecting as much data as possible. And I think when we talk about dark data, data minimization is the thing that comes to mind. And that almost seems at odds with a lot of what we're seeing organizations do in terms of just collecting as much information as possible, even if it's not necessarily needed. Um, so in your experience, are organizations doing a good job with data minimization or are organizations just kind of trying to collect as much as they can and then deal with it as issues arise? Well, number one, Safia, you gotta say, which organizations? <laughs> mm -hmm. There are some, and I, I don't need to point out the bad actors where it's been all over the all over the press there are some that just want to collect as much information as they can have and figure out what to do with it later but that isn't really dark data that's information that they collected for a purpose and are using it for that purpose i'm more concerned about information that was collected for a reason and then is forgotten about isn't used again, isn't analyzed, is just sitting there because we, as I said, you never know, we may use it someday. Well, that's not a good reason. It really isn't a good reason. To your question, I, I'm gonna beg off a little bit. I don't track how well companies are doing with data minimization, but I will say this, the cost of storage has come down to the point where adding a few more terabytes is just, okay, write a check. The idea that storage was expensive, so we had to be careful about how much we, we kept, that's, that's way deep in the past. And the net result is that you are building storage arrays or network attached storage that's just, okay, let's just keep it. We do have people who try to use that information for data mining, for you know analysis, big data studies, but let's face it, if you don't even know it's there, you won't include it in your study. And then on that note, how can organizations go about determining what dark data, if any, they have? And then if they determine they have it, what can they do to address it? Well, let, let's make one thing a little clear. I've been saying that it's mostly network attached storage, the unstructured data. I would say it's probably true, although I don't know that there's any real good uh, studies that would say exactly what it is. One particular study by the company called Splunk has estimated that 55% of the data in companies or you know, government agencies' storage is in fact dark. Now, I don't know how they got that 55%, but I've read their stuff and read their materials, and it's 
it's at least convincing. I've seen others quotes as ninety percent of the data is is unknown. Now, I don't buy that. But the other side of it is there is plenty enough structured data that's kept and not used. Information about dead people. You know, if you're an insurance company, you probably have a lot of information about people who aren't with us anymore, and you're probably not using it very often. There's an example. Uh, archive files, or as you pointed out, those mysterious, we will keep your resume on file, whatever file it might be. So having said that, the data that's out there and isn't being used, at least we know where it is. Let's start with the network attached storage and start asking people, do you use anything? You know, you know which device it's on. You can go to every department and say, do you ever use the files on this device? And some people will say, yeah, I use it all the time because I need to, uh, to know on any given day who's in the building and, and then I need historical patterns of who is in the building, fine. If you use it, God bless you, keep it, do what you have to do with it. I'll put a marker here for so we can come back to it. You better do a good job of protecting it if you use it, but leave that aside for the moment. But then there's gonna be all this other data. And you say to people, look, if you're using some of this data, let us know because a year from now, we're going to get rid of anything that was unclaimed. It's like the lost and found department, you know? That's, I hadn't thought of that, but it's a, it's a good an analog for dark data. It's just a lost and found department. And sooner or later, you throw away the, all the old umbrellas and cell phones and wallets so you can make room for some new cell phones and umbrellas and wallets. Number one, you've dealt with the inherent privacy issue of keeping data that you you had no need for. Number two, you've reduced your risk of somebody going through things that they have no reason to be going through. And number three, it gives you an indication what the business purpose was of collecting that information. And as I started to say before, now that puts more priority on understanding what that business purpose was and applying security and controls that are consistent or commensurate with the data and its importance to the organization. Because up until then, it had no importance to the organization because for all you knew, nobody was using it. And then in your journal article, you mentioned being worried about the lack of documented incidents regarding dark data. Why are you worried about that? Well, it's not that so much that I'm worried, I'm, I'm more mystified. Uh, I think it is happening. I don't think people are, or organizations are necessarily aware that it's happening. It's, as I said before, it's a tempting target. And these days when there are tempting targets, there's somebody with a bow and arrow. That's just the way it is. My concern is more that we are setting ourselves up and unnecessarily. And there are, as I just pointed out, ways that we might reduce the risk in the absence of a nice, great, big, juicy story that I can take to, in my case, to clients and say, well, look, you ought to do this because 
XYZ Corporation didn't, and look what happened to them. I, we use that in security, I'm afraid, all the time. If I don't have that, it's kind of hard to make the case. I'm dealing in hypotheticals. As I mentioned in the article, sometime if you're getting ahead of the curve, you're going to have to do things that don't seem necessarily germane at the moment, but wind up being that way later on. And then before we wrap up, is there anything else about your article that you wanted to share that you didn't have a chance to share in this podcast so far? Well, yeah, it, it's it's not so much in the article. It's the broader statement that I started with when, when we began this conversation. I think that we, as a community, as a community of auditors and security professionals and risk managers and, and privacy professionals, of course, need to be paying more attention to the data and the management of the data. My career came up, you know, learning how systems work and getting involved in operating systems and database management systems and systems and systems and systems. There was less and less attention to what is the data? How did we get it? What are we doing with it? What's its value? What's its value to others? But I think it's it's time that ISACA shed some light on the way we manage data, because it's going to be, I believe, a greater and greater consideration in the years to come. All right. Well, thank you so much for joining us, Steve. Oh, my pleasure. That's all the time we have in this episode. I'm Safia Kazi, and thank you so much for tuning in. Thank you for joining us today for this episode of Page to Podcast. We hope you enjoyed this episode.